Hi, this is Jim Carr, author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. And if you want to improve your communication skills, then you need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. What is up, guys? Today I'm talking with Jim Carr. Jim is the founder and CEO of Carr & Associates, where he focuses on helping clients transform the conversations that they're having with their customers on an everyday basis. He's also the author of The Science of Customer Connections and the host of the Manage Your Message podcast. And it was a really great conversation with Jim. We talked about the importance of the individual conversations that everybody in your organization is having with everybody else every single day, right? And the importance of um, managing your message through those mediums, right? So getting an out of necessarily just the domain of branding and marketing although they're important, and getting everybody talking about the same message to the universe of folks who your company interacts with and how powerful that can be. We talked about the three steps to defining the best message for your company and of managing the dissemination of that message throughout your organization, partners, and vendors. And we talked about how to manage that process in a very dynamic environment. Overall, I love Jim's approach to communicating a simple but powerful message. Um, and not, again, not this isn't just marketing and sales. This is across the entire organization. Um, I think there's a lot of power there, and specifically for entrepreneurs who are building out a team and trying to get everybody on the same page regarding messaging, I think this will be a very powerful one for you. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you join us today. Greg, I've been looking forward to this, and I enjoy the opportunity for us to have a chat where people who want to improve their communication and their business can, can listen in to our conversation and get some things that, that I think will be helpful for them. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully two great communicators communicating will be valuable for somebody, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we set a high standard for ourselves. Yeah, we do. We'll say two, maybe slightly above average communicators, but who knows? <laughs> um, but no, I think that, that you'll have a ton to share with the audience around your unique take on how to share your message with the universe. Um, you know, I love your, the approach that you take to how does an organization, a company communicate its message outside of just marketing and branding. So we're going to get into some of that. But I'd love to start off by just talking about how you kind of got into the space to begin with and kind of how you got down this unique path of, of uh, I will say, message amplification. Sure. And it's, it's been a combination of things on my professional path. And when I look back at it, it's, it's the right intersection of a few different skills and passions that I have. So um, part of it is consumer research and teaching. I was a university professor for a while. No, I didn't have the tweed jacket with the patches on the sleeves or the bow tie, but I was a, I was a um, university professor and taught uh, business school students and MBAs and enjoyed the teaching part and enjoyed trying to figure out what people respond to in terms of messages, what they don't respond to, what they believe, what they don't believe. I went from that, I was hired out, uh, Greg, by a consulting client 
who suggested that I needed to get a real job and uh, and offered me a position as chief marketing officer or CMO of a private, uh, medium-sized private company. And I really enjoyed that opportunity too. There, it was all the messiness of doing this in practice. So you've got your marketing efforts and advertising and a sales team and distributors uh, for our products and different, different lines of that. And a little over a decade ago, I had opportunity to meet uh, some people who run a uh, kind of a consultancy, a boutique consultancy that works with bigger uh, groups of business-to-business sellers. So field sales teams and typically higher value kinds of solutions. So they're working in telecommunications or cybersecurity or manufacturing or talent management across a lot of different industries. And helping them take all of this stuff that they might have for marketing, all the good stuff and all the corporate positioning and all of the collateral and all of the product information and distill that into conversations. How would you know the right questions to ask, the right stories to tell, the right talking points? Not a script, but some talking points. And so when I put all those together, Greg, it's been um, what I'm doing now seems like a really good fit. So I can spend time and we can talk about each of these in whatever degree you like of what is it about certain messages or message types or words or stories that people tend to respond to? Um, how do you bring different parts of a business, even if it's a small business, it's pretty easy to get disconnected, right? And marketing and sales and online and offline and, and, and others. And then how do you bring that together, set the right habits so that when you have disparate teams and we're real and we're virtual and we're here and we're there, how do we keep some consistency? So all of that part has come together. I don't know, Greg, that I actually ever had a master plan years ago that it would, but those are the, the component pieces today. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and we'll definitely get into kind of the hows and um, how to accomplish each of those points. And I can tell you, you know, I've been a part of sales organizations most of my life and I've been a part of plenty of meeting where we bring together the sales team of, you know, maybe seven people and try to figure out how to talk about a message the same way because we've all been talking about it differently and spending a whole week together, not being able to walk away and do that necessarily. Right. So this isn't nearly as easy as it sounds, even for folks on the front end who it's their job to tell that story every day, you know? So we're going to dive into that, but I'd love to get a feel for why the focus on that conversation piece, right? Rather than the marketing and branding and more traditional marketing channel piece. When done right, all of these should come together. So if you think about the, the old maxim of, can we get everybody on the same page or at least close to it? So in the ideal world or something close to an ideal world, then all of our our marketing positioning, all of our materials, all of our online, our social media efforts, social selling, all of those would would come together and be, if not a a tight script, and I don't think they should be a tight script, by the way, but they would be consistent and those things would amplify one another. So we really would be on the same page. I think what you get to though is there's a fundamental, and I see this with really good professionals and really good companies, but there's a typically a very wide gap in confidence. The confidence that sellers and executives have in the value of what they offer and the confidence they have in the messaging behind it, what to say, show, ask, and do. That's, uh, again, it, it's chronic. And what happens when, that's, when people aren't on the same page is not only is there the inconsistency, But if you're not sure what to say in a selling conversation or any other influential conversation, you might not say much of anything Mm -hmm. or you'll fall back into the just industry lingo or something that's pretty bland. So 
one of the terrible implications of not having it together is that people won't engage the way that they should or that they could because they lack confidence in doing so. And something I've seen interesting about your approach as well is you're not just talking about the sales team, right? You're talking about getting the whole organization talking about the appropriate message in the right way. So, you know, folks in procurement, um, folks in finance, right? All across the organization. So I'm curious a little bit about that. I, I haven't seen much focus in this kind of universe beyond the sales team and the marketing team. And I think it points to maybe the importance of word of mouth that comes from everybody in the organization. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. And that's another maxim that people... Actually, Greg, there are a couple of maxims that already come to mind. There's, there's the how important word of mouth is, and there's the maxim that everybody's in sales to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. And we have lots of evidence. We're, first of all, we feel it in our guts. And there's lots of data that support both of those things. So um, the everybody in sales, Daniel Pink's done a lot of work about you know, sales time and non-sales selling. The fact is that everyone, especially in a more social world, is connected. It's connected to your organization for the things that people can buy from you. They're connected to your organization as a place to work, as a partner, uh, as a good member of your community. So everybody has part of that message that they can share and we want to be able to uh, equip them to do that. And so in this connected world, we can't, we can't afford the luxury of just saying this is just for salespeople. And there's that traditional, uh, I won't say chasm, but the traditional friction sometimes or lack of understanding between marketing and sales. And that is real. Marketing tends to speak in a different language to different audiences. They're more about high-level positioning where most sales professionals and subject matter experts are thinking of very particular conversations, specific relationships, specific context for all of this. So they may say the generic capabilities PowerPoint deck yeah, I'm going to take part of that, but I ain't got to get into all that stuff like that. I'm going to go right to slide 17, or I'm going to say it in my own way. Mm-hmm. So you think about that in a world where it's not just bringing together marketing and sales, but but you might have a, a business where the entire customer experience is really important to maintenance, setup, delivery, follow-up. You may be selling through uh, partners, uh, organizations, and have a lot of other people who are very influential and important in that. So it's a big problem, but the good part, Greg, in going to all of this, we were talking about being great communicators. You don't really have to be great communicators fundamentally to get this right enough so that it can really drive your business. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And we'll kind of get into that right enough here in a moment. One thing I did want to ask you though, is there maybe a story you can tell of a client that's kind of went through this transformational process and the impact that it has? Because I think that would really help the audience to put it in the appropriate context as we talk about how to do it. I'd be happy to. And, and Greg, in, in my book, it's not just a book plug, but I tried to have a lot of different <laughs> examples of all the way from individuals who were having a big career change or a life path change to uh, companies that were going through generational change or that were having trouble because they sold something that was really complicated and it was hard to, to get across. And so for your audience, the one that, came, that comes to mind readily is a company called O-Power. The the short version of that is they sold um, software and it was based on some uh, psychological p- principle of social proof. What the problem they were trying to solve is how do you get utility customers, so people in their homes and businesses, to save energy? 
And so how to, you know, then there are all sorts of ways that the utility companies and they're under mandates as well. They try to get you to replace your light bulbs or get uh, smart thermostats and, and all that. But, but the psychological part of this is actually the most inherently powerful. So Opower was a young company. They had a lot of people who were out selling smart people that are into, into software and technology, but most of them had not worked in the utilities business. Their customers worked at utilities and that's Typically, there have been people there for a long time, and they had their own language and their own their own approaches and their goals and challenges. So what they found is that you had people with a better mousetrap and trying to solve a real problem, but the message wasn't connecting. So the way that we, we worked with the Opower team is to develop something that was far simpler, not just saying, hey, we know you have this problem and we're going to prove to you with these 27 reasons why we're the best. We'll help you meet those mandates but to come up with a simple visual and walking through the challenges that utilities have when a uh, say their their state government agencies are saying you must get your customers to reduce consumption by x percent and the utilities are trying to figure out how they're actually going to do that so we put together a a, a simple conversation uh, that could be written on a whiteboard or shown on a screen in a virtual meeting something like that that really broke it down into very simple language and and so no longer were the buyer and the seller like ships passing in the night. And so what they found is that they were able to get their new people up to speed faster. They, um, there was more confidence in the sales leadership that their, their reps could have a business level conversation uh, relatively quickly. And, uh, and at some point, I can't take any credit for this, Greg, but uh, O-Power did have a very successful IPO and then they got bought uh, and, and they've done exceedingly well. But sometimes that there's the more general problem of we have something that's complicated, that feels risky. We have our language. The buyer, potential buyer, has a different language. How do we get something that's super simple where we can have those circles overlap? Yeah, I'd say super simple, but also stands apart, right? Because often, yes. if you're ever on the client side, you'll have four clients come in and they all sound exactly the same. You don't want that either. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. That's an excellent point. So if other people are coming in with their 48 slide capabilities deck or uh, a white paper that no one reads and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, or they're trying to, again, educate the market for the most part, Greg, the market doesn't want to be educated or they're doing a lot of the education on their own. So if you can show up with a message that's crisp and simple and in the customer's language, but also as you were alluding to, it's just in a different format. It's more conversational. It's not an interrogation. Uh, it's not necessarily a demo. That feels different, and that does set you apart. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So let's dive into the strategy a bit. I know you've broken it down into three big pieces, right? The first of which being about just defining the message. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how do you do that? How do you find a message that is authentic, you know, separates you from the competition, but it's also simple enough and easily enough to coach to other folks throughout the organization. And Greg, you're right. I've, I had this light bulb moment a few years ago that was, it's, it's kind of no duh simple, but I think it's a very useful way for people to think about this whole part of, of messaging everyday conversations. And it is a, a combination of message messengers and management habits. The first part on, on message I'll, let's start with a couple of ways that I think well-intentioned and good organizations get it wrong. So one time they can think of the message as their mission and their passion and their vision. The unfortunate part is that most mission statements 
sound the same. There's even been research into this. And I think 73% of, of, of corporate mission statements have like the same five words in them. So <laughs> everyone's talking about it. And it's well-intentioned, but they're talking about customers and stakeholders and sustainability and community and inclusiveness and all of those sorts of things. Again, very is well-intentioned and it can serve its own purpose. It is not the basis for a customer-focused message or a conversation there as well. The other way that it, I think can go wrong, well, actually two others. One is that the boss and that could be the CEO, the sales leader, whomever, gets so sick of it that says, here's what we're going to say. <laughs> and, you know, pound the fist on the table or like, why can't everybody, here's, here's what I want you to say. And, but it becomes the boss's language, not mine. And so I'm unlikely to use it. And, and then the third way I, I say sometimes it goes wrong is you, you leave it to an agency or someone out, outside there that's going to send it to their creative department and it could be internal marketing team as well, but oftentimes it's a, an outside party that, that comes up with a, a snappy you know, headline or a slogan or something along those lines. So, Greg, you've been around this block just a little bit. You know what happens in those circumstances. People don't internalize it inside the business. They'll say, well, okay, that's, yeah, that's not the way that, that my customers talk or the way that I would talk, or that's the boss's message, or there's somebody else will blame it on marketing or the agency. What you need on that message is something that people can remember that feels real. It's, and it's interesting, you know, interesting to share. And so what I do with, with clients and when I'm talking to audiences is say the really simple way to do this is involve as you create the message. Now, it can't be divorced from your positioning or your mission or anything like that, of course. But as you create the message, involve the very human beings who you expect to carry the message. Let them play a part. So certainly marketing and sales, but also we were mentioning earlier, people from other parts of the organization. You might have some current customers or, or clients who are big fans and you can tap them into this process a little bit. Say, what is it that you, how do you enjoy working with us? What problems do we solve for you? Mm -hmm. is, there, is there a language that was important to you? How did you frame the problem when we came in and helped you solve it? Because it, mm -hmm the way you saw it might be different than the way that than the problem we thought we were solving. Right. So just to, to, to get an authentic and conversational message and say, just maybe don't approach it the way you think it's supposed to be approached, involve the very people whom you want to share that message uh, in the first place. And how do you know when you really have gotten it right? You never know that you exactly have it right, Greg. So there's a little ambiguity. And when you get it right today, it can't be like the thermostat of set it and forget it. So you always have to revisit that. I would point. say you get it right when in this process, people's heads are nodding. If you're getting together, and I'll oftentimes we'll do workshops and work groups to involve people from different parts of the organization. And again, maybe, maybe people on the outside of the organization too. They'll, you'll be able to get it from their verbals and their nonverbals of when it feels right and real and it's good enough to go to market with it. And so I, 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 don't, I don't know that there's a, and I would say that perfection is not the goal, but it, when you're building buzz and momentum inside the company itself, that'll be another good barometer for you too. Because again, the starting point is that most people have far more confidence in the value of what you offer than in how to talk about it. So anything that could bridge that gap, even if not perfectly, is going to be a big win. People will approach that. They'll run to it uh, if it's done the right way.
Yeah, very cool. And one other, and uh, I guess, important question before we kind of move on to the second phase is we've been talking a lot about, you know, they'll do this, they'll do that. Who's typically in charge from your perspective when we're thinking about this kind of thing? Is it marketing? Is it sales? Is it somebody else? I find that when this goes well, you have a, a high level executive sponsor mm-hmm. or team who, ha- who is on the line for the business outcomes that you're trying to generate. Getting a better message is not an end to itself. It's a means to an end, right? So it might be a sales leader or a chief revenue officer, someone like that. They're looking at areas like win rates, close rates, margins, time to deal, selling more things out of the portfolio. Uh, you can have a, a CEO leadership team. They're trying to do other things. Oftentimes, and, and I do find, Greg, there are lots of different effects that you can get by doing this right. So you can get new hires ready better. You can develop your frontline managers into better coaches. Um, You can certainly on the market share, revenue, margin, those sorts of metrics as well. And then there's also kind of a sense of just reputation, comfort, confidence, morale, employee engagement. Those are sometimes softer indicators. But If you figure out why you need to do this in the first place, because none of us want change. We don't want change in anything as much as we we say we have to be open to change. But if we're going to be trying to change behaviors, it's going to be according to some compelling business goal. And so I want to get the person or the persons who are accountable for that goal. And then let's say, okay, so here are the, the specific conversations we need to get more people ready for, and then we'll know we're on the right track. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It, the more it comes from the top, the more powerful it is. Absolutely. has been That's my right. experience as well. So the second phase you mentioned is about equipping the messengers. So yeah. who would you define as the messengers? And then how do we go about equipping them? And I start with a very simple concept again. Uh, uh, Greg, I'm a PhD, but I'm a simple guy. <laughs> so I think that trying to keep a few things, if they can explain most of the variation, explain most of our success factors, then that, that helps to clarify. So when it comes to people in their activity, their behavior as messengers, so they can be a seller, it can be a partner seller, it can be a, a whomever, a friend, an influencer, someone that you, they might not be out selling for you directly, but you sure hope you could get a testimonial or a referral or uh, some good buzz about you. People will be good messengers to the extent that they can have knowledge, skill, and confidence. So knowledge, and oftentimes you might take this for granted. For example, um, I'm talking to some friends that do some sales consulting, and this is consistent with what I find. If you have a big portfolio, there's a good chance that most of your people don't know all the things that you sell. Mm-hmm. It may seem like kind of a basic deal, but I remember speaking one time uh, with a friend who was uh, had just gotten elevated to, to running a small, fast, casual restaurant chain. And, uh, and she said, you know, one thing I found out, Jim, is that more people here know how to uh, file for time off than know what's on our menu. So um, just basic knowledge, which might be what you offer, who's an uh, ideal client or customer for you. You know, wow, the ways that we serve people, a good story or two to tell. That might be the base knowledge that everybody should have. And then there's skill, which comes from coaching, practice, and confidence that comes from management saying, it's okay to try this out. This is what you're going to socialize the wins. It's okay to stub your toe just a little bit. We're all doing this together, but we are all doing this. And so 
when you think about the messengers and whether they're coming from marketing sales or lots of different other business units or, or groups outside of the company, if you think through just do they know what they need to know, which is not a script, but do they, do they get it and internalize it and believe it? Do they have enough skill, basic skill that they'll feel comfortable in talking about it? And then confidence would come reinforcing that knowing they're not in this alone. But first, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network, and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start, or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. With their done-for-you podcast, literally, all I have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else from end-to-end, including all editing and production, development of my intro and outro and music, my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because I tell you it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the done for you podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. Do you tend to get pushback from folks? Cause this is probably pretty new to depending upon your role in the organization, it might be fairly new to you, right? Do you get a lot of pushback as you start trying to roll it out? Sometimes. And, and sometimes it's born out of a, uh, a healthy, natural skepticism of, well, we tried doing a new promotional campaign a couple years ago, and that was a dumpster fire or something along those lines. The Sometimes I wouldn't say pushback so much. Um, and I'm as a, as a marketer myself, and I speak to my marketing friends out there, and I completely appreciate you. But there can be times when marketing, for example, might say, but the message is really our province, right? That's our deal because we're producing content for lots of different ways, not just for our sales team, but we're doing it for online and offline and our executive team. And so we, we guard that consistency and our image and our standards zealously and understand that. And then of course, sometimes sales will go like, we just need our thing that works for us. I don't, we don't care about everybody else. Um, (laughs) But if you have the right approach, because marketing ultimately wants everybody to succeed too. And if you, can establish the fact that we're not going to stray from our standards. In fact, what we are going to be doing is, is having more consistency. So we don't get into this tug of war with different, different business units and by involving more people. The other thing that I'm finding, Greg, and you may be as well, is that marketing is not just a communication function. More and more, they are responsible for, if not out and out revenue, at least producing more leads and opportunities and things. Mm -hmm. So they have a vested interest in getting that message to the street and getting it through all the different messengers that that can do that as well. So I think with a little approach and with those common business objectives that everybody can buy into, the the pushback's really not that big of a deal. Sometimes, frankly, we get uh, these groups together and they're, they're appreciative. You're like, ah, I knew, I knew Greg, uh, I've heard your name for three years. We've never met. 
You know, I'm really <laughs> interested to find out kind of what you do and what you're seeing because we're all kind of in our own bubble, right? And there can be so much value in that connecting folks yes. who have a shared mission but have never worked directly together before. That's right. You know, I'm also curious how you motivate, inspire, teach up folks who are not part of the organization, vendors, partners, those kinds of folks mm-hmm. um, to be able to communicate your message effectively. Well, those are people who, and, and it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because much the same way that the feeling we would have if, if you know a friend were coming to you and was looking for a new job, you'd be happy to help. If you tried out a new restaurant, and it was really good, and you would want to tell your friends and people that you thought might, might like it. We do have a sense of we want to help those that we think would be valuable. It, we help other people, and frankly, it makes us look good too. And then, of course, you got people who part of their business is intertwined with the health of your business. So as you say, vendors, they want you to be successful because they can sell you more stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're with a partner organization, they want to know what makes you different, the problems that you help solve. They want the right tools. They may be representing lots of different, in some cases, lots of different manufacturers and dealing with a lot of different customers. They're trying to keep it all straight. They want their odds of success to go in. Uh, to go up as well. And so think of whether it be psychological, economic, or both, they have vested interests. Then I would say that their playbook, their guide is more trim than would be the one that you'd use internally. They only probably need to know a few very specific things for the kind of conversations that they might have that would involve you. So I would approach that as a slightly different playbook But again, as we talked earlier, it's not just about the overall story of your organization. It's just being very intentional about specific conversations, what people need to know, who that's going to be, and give it the the best chance of success. And then moving on to the third piece, which is all around coaching folks to communicate the message effectively. How do you do that most appropriately? That's a tough one, Greg, because a lot of people, and you think about just the the traditional ways of of people, frontline managers being good coaches, Mm -hmm. and then up a level, how those uh, senior managers or executives coach the frontline managers. Oftentimes, you know, they haven't been coached themselves. And it runs into their own anxieties about, well, when it comes to the message, gosh, Greg, I don't know what to say. I'm no great communicator. No one ever told me how to do it. I just kind of know what works for me. And so we try to break that down in the the coaching pieces into a a few fundamentals. So it's not, for example, being a nag about activity level. So just say at the the sales team level, it's not just how many calls you make, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, and you can over communicate, by the way. There's a maxim. You can never over-communicate. Customers can't hear from you often enough. Sure they can. You can say the wrong thing too many times in the same way to the, to the wrong people. So rather than uh, approach it, of we just want everyone to work harder or do certain activities more, it's, it's breaking it down a little bit. So in helping, if you're a frontline manager, to help your reps to recognize consistently across the team who is a priority prospect who represents at different stages of evaluation in the buying process? What are the specific kinds of conversations that we need to have? Which tools do we need? And so using time, either one-to-one or you're having team meetings and you build in some of those coaching pieces and you share the successes and you role play sometimes and, and, and bring everyone's game up. I love doing training and coaching 
not just sometimes with a peer group of managers because they share their, you know, their own challenges uh, as well, but also as intact teams. And so that winds up building a lot more street cred, a lot more momentum and, and a lot more consistency too. So approaching it from the standpoint of where the specific parts of the how, not the what, but the how, Greg, you know, how do I set the right sorts of meetings? How do I ask for a referral? How do I do this? Everybody gets better at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the one other thing I'm curious about overall, right? Today's world, things are really dynamic with COVID and everything else. Companies don't know if they're closing or opening or, or how they're selling or how everything's changing. As you're thinking about communicating your story throughout the organization, right? Which is like turning a big ship. It's not something that typically I would expect happens very quickly. But now your message is changing on a daily basis. How do you recommend handling that? Well, the, the thing I would say, Greg, is that it is, you're right, you're, you're turning a ship and, and the, the ballast of that ship is based upon, you know, uh, our separation uh, geographically, our separation by generations or the stuff that we've done in the past, uh, whatever baggage we're bringing into this organizational bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera. My encouragement, though, is it's a lot easier and faster to change your messaging than to change your product line mm-hmm. or your pricing or your distribution strategy or your people themselves. So if you're looking for something that is, if not an immediate win, it's a relatively quick win. It is changing the way that you talk about the business and the things that you offer. That can happen in a few months mm-hmm. as opposed to some really long stretch of time. And in terms of how you do that as you mentioned, you mentioned COVID and one client in particular that working with is we had gone through this whole process of building some new selling conversations. And it was a, it was a big shift for the, for the company, big company and put together a playbook and it just had a big training and all that. And then whammo COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And, and so what you wind up then is, is people saying, so now what do we say? Nobody say anything at all. Should we be pitching? Should we be asking yeah. questions? Should we, you know, how is our approach? You know, the best thing that I can do is, is to, to offer to you and your listeners, Greg, is if you're really customer focused and you're, you're reaching out, first of all, whatever the case, pandemic or otherwise, uh, your, your customers and prospects do want to hear from you. Um, and I say in these times, it's not, their phones really aren't ringing off the hook. And so, but the how you help in the immediate may be a little bit different. So you may have access to some databases or things like that. Everyone's trying to look ahead and going, I know there's the, there's this uneven, uncertain rebound that's coming. And we don't know how much things are going to go back to the way they were before. Some things are going to go back the way before. Some things are going to change. Everyone's trying to figure that out. So to the extent that you can offer encouragement, data, some options to people to approach it in an agile way, they will appreciate hearing from you. In a larger sense, how do you keep it fresh? I say a couple things. One is if you're doing this well, you're always paying attention to the input that you're getting. You're always seeing, you know, where are you getting traction, which stories hit, which questions are, are, are leading to more opportunities. And, and the coaching piece of that will capture some of that information. The other is I always would, would set a milestone in there. So even if you put together a new messaging playbook, say, we're going to revisit that in 
in six months, for example. It could be whatever time frame, but don't think that that it's going to be the same way forever that you can set it and forget it, as we said before. Put that on the calendar. Put that in your plan. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything is going to change, but be willing to, as I would say, make sure that on a regular basis, your content has to audition for the next version of your messaging playbook. I like that. I like that. Almost putting your toe in the water, seeing how it works and, and you know, leveraging your content as a way to develop what the ideal message is of the future. That's exactly right. So you've got a good base to start from, but always be willing to challenge. It's like, are we still relevant in the same way or do we need to be leading in a, in a slightly different direction? Yeah, really interesting. So just a few more questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show right? The first one is around the power of conversations. And I always like to ask folks if there's one conversation you can point to in your life that had a really meaningful impact on the direction that you ended up taking. There are several of them, Greg, for sure. Um, One that I'll, and I'll condense it here. And and I think it's relevant for your listeners, both in their, in their jobs, if they're selling stuff or in their careers as they're selling themselves. Long story short, I, in my MBA program many moons ago, I was, uh, I was one of the younger uh, people in my, my MBA class. And that put a lot of importance, I thought, for me on getting a really good summer internship, the summer in between the two years of study. And I went through what I thought was the, pre- the right preparation for my first internship interview on campus. And I won't give you the complete gory details, Greg, but let's say I blew it. It, it was bad. And I thought, uh-oh. And so I, what I decided to do was do what I should have done to begin with was to go to a faculty member named Dr. Bob Reinheimer, who was our management communication specialist. He was the guru. He was the Yoda. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I went with my, my proverbial tail tucked between my legs and said, Dr. Bob, I blew it. You know, what, what do I do to make sure this never happens again? And what he basically said was, take a, I want you to take a structured approach here. And in fact, he said, I want you to, whether you do it on a spreadsheet or better yet, a piece of paper, I want you to make, draw out a table, five columns, three rows. And, and the, the short answer was this. Uh, he said, in the columns, those are going to represent characteristics of you. Things that whether you think of creativity, persistence, kindness, whatever that might be, things that you exhibit on and off the job that, that help define you. And, uh, and I, so, so Dr. Bob, what, what are those going to be? Said, I, I don't know. <laughs> those are the, and that you need to look in the mirror and you need to talk to people who know you and have known you over time and, and see what they say. And that it'll be honest with you. And said so the rows underneath, there are a couple rows where you should think about instances where you have exhibited that trait, that characteristic of you. Like, well, what if I don't have you know, one or two for that. He said, well, it's probably not a defining characteristic, is it? Right? So it may be something you aspire to be, but it doesn't quite define you, at least today. And then he said, you, so what you will have there when you do it, and I saw the, the magic of this at the time, like, well, if you go through that process, and maybe it takes a couple of weeks, whatever, be real about it, you'll have 10 stories about you. You'll have five characteristics and a couple of instances for each five by two. That's 10 authentic, real stories about you of things that you did again, on or off the job. There are really not too many situations that won't lend itself to you being able to, in a very real, not a contrived way, be able to demonstrate what you're all about. And then as you, if you're talking about a specific idea that you have, a solution that you're offering, or again, in your own career, 
you should also then understand enough about that position to be able to connect what it is that defines you to what you would be doing in that position. You'll really position yourself well, and you'll understand yourself a lot better too. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. Even from a sales perspective, right? If you can go into a situation having 10 stories that are highly likely to relate to five needs they might have, that can be really powerful. Exactly. And I, I always have, uh, when, when we're doing uh, playbooks or guides for sales teams, we try to get a, think of a box of chocolates, right? If, if you've got those stories in a story bank and, hey, I need one with almonds in the middle. <laughs> we'll pluck <laughs> this one out. People tend to know their own stuff, but not uh, enterprise-wide yeah. ways we can do it, but that's a that's a very nice way of thinking about it. So that's where it extends not only in your own career and job interviews, that sort of thing, but also if you're part of a, a high-level sales team of having those stories that will relate. Now, not all stories will be relevant in any given conversation. In fact, maybe mm-hmm. just one or two, but you'll be ready for that instance when it comes. Yeah, and it's not. Um, it's also not overwhelming. You know, I've certainly worked for organizations where there's a thousand things you need to know. And, and it's just, you can't be on top of all that. But you can be on top of 10 stories. The stories are pretty easy to remember as well. That's right. And that, that's a very important point, Greg. So the wrong time to think about what you wanted to say is five minutes after the conversation's over. <laughs> and how common is that? So you want something that's relevant, but also memorable for you and for them. Cool. So second question, you've Accomplished all these great things, especially from a communication perspective. So it's an interesting question for you. If there's one communication skill you could have had in more abundance that would have made it all easier for you, what would that have been? I don't know that this is a communication skill, Greg. So I'm kind of slightly evading the question. But when you when you ask that, the first thing that came to mind is confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the thing that knowledgeable really well-intentioned people can, can often lack. And I, I certainly have lacked it. It's, it's the lack of confidence can come from thinking I'll be held out as an imposter. I'm going to uh, get asked a question. I don't know how to answer or somebody else deep down could probably do this better than I could. That stuff that plays in our heads. So it's not arrogance. It's not pretentiousness. It's just confidence of knowing whom you serve well and what you do and that you'd be a good fit. And that'd be crazy not to buy your solution or to, or to hire you. So I wish I'd had that and not, uh, I can think of so many points of like, if I just advanced that a little bit more, if mm-hmm. I'd just uh, done that. So not exactly a communication skill. It's not tactical, but I think there's just a deep sense that as you go through this as an individual and as a team, confidence develops because you have a much better sense of whom you serve really well what you do really well, and, and where you're a great fit. Yeah, I think it's perfectly valid and highly relevant. Confidence is, I think, one of the fuels that leads you to be a really great communicator or a poor communicator. Because if you're confident, you can communicate much more clearly. Your head can be clear to understand what others are communicating. You're not always second-questioning yourself and doubting yourself and beating yourself up. And I think just so much goes with it. I can say from a speaking perspective, I used to be really unconfident and I used to always be terrified of getting that question I couldn't answer and looking like a fool in front of everybody. You know, you alluded to that. But over time, I learned that I don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, you know, I haven't thought about that, right? What do you think? Let's talk about it as a group or let me get back to you on that, right? Let me do a little research and get back to you. And that's completely okay. And once that fear was removed, I became a lot more fluid and loose of a presenter, which, which made a huge difference. Excellent points. And perfection is not the goal because and, 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 you'll never get there. And, and as a speaker, the thing is, for the most part, I mean, yeah, there may be the occasional knucklehead out there in, in whatever your audience is, but for the most part, people want you to succeed. 
Yeah. They, they know what time. you're doing is tough. They want to find some answers. They want to be inspired. They want to learn something new. So if you approach it that way, uh, I think your, your, your confidence level will naturally rise and, and you'll serve that audience better. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. If if you're sitting in an audience and you see somebody kind of having a really tough time, it's extremely uncomfortable. And you're sitting there just rooting for them to get a feel for it and, and do well. And that's what your you audience is doing life. for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they want they don't want they don't want to feel that uncomfort. They want you to succeed. Right. And if you make a mistake, they don't even know it usually. Right. So you can't you can't you don't need to beat yourself up about that. But that's a whole other yeah. topic. <laughs> one 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 uh, really quick story. There was a time a few uh, years ago, and a work colleague and I were asked to present to a group of, of business development reps for a big company and just kind of talk about sales messaging. And I tend to work from stories and talking points and the like. And and my colleague had not really given very many talks, and he was very precise and scripted. And I thought he was getting uh, in advance of our talk really really uptight about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I finally uh, at one point said to to my colleague they'll have no idea what you ever intended to say. <laughs> so important. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I've been there before. I have a script and, you know, I say the third sentence wrong and now my mind's blown for the rest of the presentation. And the people have no idea that I said the third sentence wrong. You know, as, script far, as, just, as far as they know, it's exactly what you intended to say. Exactly. It's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> final question for you, who's the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally? And why do you say that about them? There are, are lots of good examples and there could be people that just that your listeners would not know that just in, in my life that I've seen. And then there, you know, they're always the iconics, the Oprah or the Steve Jobs or whomever that, that legitimately, but they get mentioned a lot. The one that uh, really comes to mind for me, Greg, is Mike Rowe. Uh, he's the guy that was the host of what was it, Dirty Jobs. Mm-hmm. He's a writer. He's a podcaster. He's got a big following. What I like about him, and he he does have this wonderfully resonant voice that I, I can't <laughs> quite replicate. And so, yes, you would think, oh, well, he's a, he's a narrator and he's a host and he has those communication skills. But the thing with him is he's just very real and authentic and consistent. Uh, his, he has a foundation and it's all about uh, people who have tough jobs, uh, developing uh, technical skills. And he's all about saying, hey, look, here people work construction and plumbing and electrical and, and manufacturing and all that. We need more of those people doing those things. And so he lives it out in his content and also the things he does behind the scenes about it. So I think if you, if you think about someone who has communication skill, yes, but even more importantly, it's authentic, it's relatable, and he lives it out. He models the exact behavior that he asks of other people. I think he's a really good candidate to follow. Very cool. And, and that's a unique answer, something I haven't heard before, but a um, uh, very uh, valid one, I think. And I did not know about his foundation. I think that's really cool how he's linking those two things together. It's called Mike Rowe Works. And, uh, and by the way, and that, this is not a substitute for your podcast or mine, but he has a really neat podcast he does called The Way I Heard It. And uh, much like a kind of a Paul Harvey-esque sort of deal, he takes these little 15-minute tidbits and he's just a good storyteller. So uh, whether you're into that whole line about technical work or not, he's a a good person. If you just want to have some reinforcement about good storytelling, that's a good one as well. Yeah. Okay, great. So last question for you. You mentioned your podcast. Tell us where we can find that, the name of that. Tell us about the book and, and where folks can find you online. 
Sure. And uh, Greg, I really appreciate the opportunity to being here on uh, the podcast side. Mine's called the Manage Your Message Podcast. And uh, you can find it that way. My, uh, my last name is easy to say, Carr, hard to spell, <laughs> K-A-R-R-H. But uh, most, uh, most resources you can find through my website is jimcarr.com. The good news is that I have purchased the domains of some of the most common misspellings. So if you get close You'll, you'll, you'll get there. I do have a book, which is relatively new, called The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. Available paperback, Kindle, and an audio book as well. I've got a free sampler uh, on the website and a lot of uh, some other free resources that I hope would be helpful to people as they build their own confidence uh, for themselves and for their teams and getting your message to the right people. Yeah. So, so definitely check those out. Um, thanks for your time today, Jim, a, a ton of value, I think, uh, around how to create a good message, how to empower our messengers and then how to coach them up on how to do it well, and even how to navigate transitioning that message as you kind of look into the future. I think it's a really important conversation as you think about entrepreneurs and smaller companies as well, where, you know, they don't have communications teams and marketing teams. They might have five people. How do you manage that internally and make sure that they're all telling the same story? Because it's extremely important how they're communicating the story to the universe around them. So I think it was really powerful stuff. Thank you. My pleasure, Greg, and uh, to your listeners. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.